Hello, and welcome to the Lake Forest Church Huntersville Sermon Podcast. We are a community of skeptics, spiritual explorers, and longtime followers of Christ. To learn more about who we are as a church and how you can get connected, visit lakeforest.org. Well, good morning. Uh, For any of you I haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Jeff. I'm one of the pastors here. And this morning we are continuing in our series called God Stories. Uh, And one of the things I've really loved about this series is just getting to learn a little bit more about people like the Conrad brothers, right? We don't really get to hear from, well, I mean, we hear from them. We don't really get to hear about them very often. Uh, And that was just super cool. I feel like I learned something about them I didn't know. 18 years is a long time. Um, Something that you may not know about me uh, is that I actually love to build stuff. Now, a lot of people who know me know that my father-in-law is a pastor, uh, but what a lot of people don't know is that before he was a pastor, he was a contractor. And so when I started dating Rebecca, my wife, I'm 27 years old, and none of his boys were either old enough or interested in learning anything about construction at all, but I was. And so he taught me all the things. I mean, from the basics of 16 inches on center, all the way to hanging sheetrock, how to cut a good angle cut for base molding. I mean, you name it. And I quickly discovered that I actually kind of have a knack for building stuff. Like, it just all makes sense to me how those things work. It's a little bit of a way God gifted me. Uh, Now, this probably won't surprise you to look at me, uh, but I'm really good at building stuff that's strong. (laughs) Making it pretty... Not so much. Uh, that's, the, that's the part that's hard for me, right? It's the part that gets me frustrated. It's the part where I, I make a lot of mistakes. Um, but I had a wife who is insanely creative uh, and found out that I can actually build some stuff. And so over the years, there have been a number of projects that she's kind of thrown my way. And two in particular that really struck me that I'm honestly, I'm kind of proud of, uh, were for our boys. Uh, I think we actually have a picture of, of these two projects. So one of these, uh, the one where you see the, the rope ladder hanging, that was our house up in New Jersey. We only had two kids. They were much smaller. And we realized that their closet wasn't really serving a purpose. So we just ripped everything out of it. And I built a second floor in it. We put a front on it. And that was kind of their fort. So when we moved to Huntersville, it was a requirement that they have forts. But they're a little bigger now. Uh, And so you can see the other three pictures are the two forts that I built for my oldest and middle son, um, complete with hammock, rock wall. I didn't paint the tree. You don't want me painting anything. Uh, And the other one was on top of a bunk bed with a hanging chair. And they came out really great. And the thing that struck me about them was both of those projects I did in a day. I mean, like the, the one I did here in Huntersville, I did in a school day. Like they went to school, I started working, and it was done. I didn't hit any of the hang-ups that I normally hit. And the thing that struck me most was I didn't feel frustrated the way I normally do when I'm trying to make a project look pretty. I was able to experience this joy and this peace in using my gift, not because I was using a gift. I tell people all the time, look, if God gives you a gift, use it. There's joy in that. But man, I realize it's actually more about who I'm using the gift for. And the fact that I was able to pour into my relationship with my boys and my wife in those projects made them special. It opened up a door for me. And so so our God story this morning is going to be another guy who liked to build stuff. 
And we're going to look at exactly how God gifted him in a way that he was able to build. So we're going to talk about King Solomon uh, who built the temple. But, but we're going to cover a lot that I'm going to tell you as a story. And so I need to give you some, some ahead of time information. First is that if you look in your Bible in the, in the section of Chronicles and Kings in your Old Testament, that's where you find the story of Solomon's life. Same story, slightly different angle, just need you to know that. The other two pieces of background information that are important, one is about the temple. Listen, before Jesus came and died and the Holy Spirit dwelled in God's people, God's presence was in a place, right? We get to experience it inside us because of the Holy Spirit, but, but back then God existed in a place. And so when Moses freed the Israelites from, from captivity in Egypt, it started out in this tent they called the tent of meeting, would be like a tent in the, the camp where God's presence would dwell. And then Moses was instructed to build what's called the tabernacle. There was basically this portable temple where God's presence would dwell, but it was always intended that the day would come that, that God's people would build a permanent residence for him. And that is the temple. It is the place where God's presence could dwell so his people could be with him. Now, the other thing you need to know about King Solomon is that he is the son of King David. You know, like David and Goliath, David God after man's own heart, like that, David. So, so David wanted to build the temple, but wasn't able to. And we're told in Scripture that, that God says, hey, listen, you've been in a lot of wars. You've killed a lot of men in these wars like this temple. It's not for you to build, but it will be for your son. And so that's where we're going to pick up the story. Slide this over. All right. That's where we're going to pick up the story. And this is David speaking to his son, almost giving him a charge. David said to Solomon, now, my son, may the Lord be with you and give you success as you follow his directions in building the temple of the Lord your God. And may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding that you may obey the law of the Lord your God as you rule over Israel. For you will be successful if you carefully obey the decrees and regulations that the Lord gave to Israel through Moses. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or lose heart. So, so David gives Solomon this charge, and then Solomon takes control of the kingdom. Right? He, he does... He does it in definitive fashion, and he gathers all of the leaders, the military leaders, political leaders, religious leaders, and he brings them to the tabernacle. Because remember, temple's not built yet. So he brings them to the place of God's presence and offers up burnt offerings to God. He initiates his reign in relationship with God before all of his people. And, and Scripture tells us that that night, God appeared to Solomon and said, what do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. Solomon replied to God. He said, you showed great and faithful love to David, my father, and now you have made me king in his place. Oh, Lord God, please continue to keep your promise to David, my father, for you have made me king over a people as numerous as the dust on the earth. Give me the wisdom and knowledge to lead them properly. For who could possibly govern this great people of yours? And then God says to Solomon, 
because your greatest desire is to help your people. And you did not ask for wealth, riches, fame, or even the death of your enemies or a long life, but rather you asked for wisdom and knowledge to properly govern my people. I will certainly give you the wisdom and knowledge you requested, but I will also give you wealth, riches, and fame such as no other king has had before you or will ever have again. And that's what we see happen. We see that Solomon is renowned for his wisdom, that, that he has all of this prosperity, and that he enjoys peaceful relationship with the people around him. One of the, the relationships that, that he has, one of the interactions that really highlights these gifts that God is providing for Solomon in building this temple is a relationship with a guy named King Hiram. Uh, so two things for you to know, King Hiram is, uh, the, is the king of Tyre, which is just a, it's a, think of it as like a, a, um, like a port city that is, I'm losing the word, that is a business mecca, trade mecca. That's what I wanted, trade. Um, second thing for you to know is that, is that Hiram was very close friends with David. Like they, they were tight, right? And so when King Hiram finds out that David's son is now the king, he does what you expect he should do. Right? He reaches out, he offers his congratulations, and we see how Solomon responds to him. And it shows the wisdom in how he does it, because he basically responds by pointing out, hey, thank you, I'm so blessed that, that we are at peace, right? That we are in a season where the stage is set for me to successfully build this temple. You know, the temple that God told your good friend I would build, that one. So listen, based on that, would you, would you make sure, please, please, that cedars from Lebanon can be cut for me? Let me, let my men work alongside yours. We'll pay them whatever wages you ask, because as you know, nobody has cedars like you, right? So you see in how he interacts with him that he kind of lays it all out. He's using the, the peace the wisdom and the prosperity that he enjoys because of God to set the stage to get the materials, to get laborers to help to build this temple. And, and we see the response. So when Hiram receives Solomon's message, he's very pleased and he says, praise the Lord today for giving David a wise son to be king of the great nation of Israel. Then, then replies to Solomon and says, I've received your message, and I will supply all the cedars and cypress timber that you need. My servants will bring the logs from the Lebanon mountains to the Mediterranean Sea and make them into rafts and float them along the coast to whatever place you choose. Then we will break the rafts apart so you can carry the logs away. You can pay me by supplying me with food for my household. And, and so you can see how all of the gifts that God gave Solomon, Solomon is using for the purpose that God has him on, which is building this temple. And it takes a long time to build, but he builds it. And when he comes to the completion of the temple, we see this beautiful scene. I'm not going to take you through the whole thing for sake of time, but you can check out Kings 7 and Kings 8, which is where you will see this. Uh, sorry, you can check out 1 Kings 7 and 1 Kings 8, where you'll see this. But Solomon lays out this beautiful prayer to God, this praise-filled 
covenant-based prayer to God, and then goes on to commit the temple, to dedicate the temple to this God whom he loves, who he enjoys relationship with. And the whole passage, the whole dedication is about relationship with God. It's about covenant with God, not just this accomplishment, this purpose that he has reached, but this beautiful relationship that they enjoy. And you see that as God responds to him. The Lord said to him after this, I have heard your prayer and your petition. I've set this temple apart to be holy, this place that you've built where where my name will be honored forever, and I will watch over it always, for it is dear to my heart. So even in God's language, you hear the relationship at the center of this massive accomplishment in building the temple. But God goes on to warn Solomon. He says, the Lord said, as for you, if you will follow me with integrity and godliness, as David your father did, you know, obeying all my commands, decrees, and regulations, then I will establish the throne of your dynasty over Israel forever. For I made this promise to your father David, one of your descendants will always sit on the throne of Israel. But, he says, if your descendants abandon me and disobey the commands and decrees I've given you, and if you serve and worship other gods, then I will uproot Israel from this land that I have given them. I will reject this temple that I have made holy to honor my name. I will make Israel an object of mockery and ridicule among the nations. And though this temple is impressive now, all who pass by will be appalled and will gasp in horror. They will ask, why did the Lord do such terrible things to this land and to this temple? And the answer will be, because his people abandoned the Lord their God, who brought their ancestors out of Egypt, and they worshiped other gods instead and bowed down to them. That is what, that is what has brought all this disaster on them. So, so you have to see in this how important relationship is to God in this whole context. But there's also a, a feeling of completion, right? Like David, David has done this really big thing. And I don't know if you've ever accomplished something that was massive, that you couldn't have done without God. But when you reach that point where it finally comes to fruition, there's a certain feeling in that. And, and for us, for sinful humans, there's a danger in that feeling. And that's right where we find Solomon as we move on to the next interaction where he has a visit from the Queen of Sheba. Now, I'm not taking you through a history lesson. This is what you need to know about the Queen of Sheba. She was basically an influencer, right? Like, think about whoever it is, faith leader, celebrity, athlete, politician, whatever, uh, whoever it is that when they say a thing, people pay attention. That's who queen, the Queen of Sheba is. And so we see that she comes to visit Solomon basically to test his wisdom. She's heard all the rumors, and she wants to know for sure, is this guy actually as wise as, as everyone says he is? There's, I mean, probably she'd heard of him because of the completion of the temple. And so she comes and she tests him, and he passes with flying colors. So he has just completed this massive, eternal thing in creating the temple, and now 
the queen of Sheba comes to visit and test his wisdom, and he aces it, and this is what she says to him. The queen of Sheba exclaimed to the king, everything I heard in my country about your achievements and wisdom is true. I didn't believe what was said until I arrived here and saw it with my own eyes. In fact, I had not heard half of it. Your wisdom and prosperity are far beyond what I was told. Now listen, Solomon's a human being. I don't see how his head is not swelling. I don't see how pride is not fighting its way in. She goes on to say, this is how happy your people must be. This is the one that gets me. What a privilege for your officials to stand here day after day listening to your wisdom. Praise the Lord God who delights in you and has placed you on the throne of Israel because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel. He has made you king so that you can rule with justice and righteousness. I'm not trying to bag on Solomon, but I don't know how a human being hears things like that after accomplishing a thing like building the temple and doesn't start to feel a little bit of pride. I mean, I don't know if you've ever accomplished something and then had people come and tell you how great it is, and even though you know you never could have done it without God, there's always a little piece of you that wants to take credit for it. That's what sin is, and that's what pride does. And I can't imagine that didn't start to happen to Solomon. But here's the thing I know about pride. Pride makes me think that I'm more than I am. And when I start to believe that it is not God through me, but me that did a thing, it stops me from experiencing my relationship with him the way it was intended to be experienced, which means that all of the joy and the peace that comes from that relationship, it feels out of reach. And I start to look for that feeling elsewhere, and it leads very often to the pursuit of pleasure. Pride leads us to the pursuit of pleasure. And that's exactly what we see with Solomon. I mean, the story tells us that King Solomon loved many foreign women, which was specifically warned against back in those times. Now, that sounds racist. It's actually not. It was about the worship of God, right? At that time in human history, the worship of God was deeply connected to your ethnicity. And so the danger for Solomon is that because he's pursuing pleasure, because of his love for these foreign women, that he would be taken away from his worship of God from his relationship with God. Now, a lot of people don't know this part of the story, so I am going to read it to you straight out of 1 Kings 11. This is verses one through eight. It says this. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, you must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway, because he's prideful and pursuing his pleasure. Goes on to say he had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. We're not even gonna touch that. (laughs) And in fact, they did 
turn his heart from the Lord. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship uh, the worship of other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God, just as his father David had been. Solomon worshiped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Molech, the detestable god of the Amorites. In this way, Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. He refused to follow the Lord completely as his father David had. And this verse 7, this is the kicker. On the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, he even built a pagan shrine for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and another for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. Solomon built such shrines for all of his foreign wives to use for burning incense, incense and sacrificing to their gods. I mean, did you catch that? The very thing, the purpose that God had Solomon on, that he gifted him to be able to do, he's now using those gifts to run away from his relationship with God, to turn his back on God, not to stay in it. This is where Solomon goes from an inspiring story of the power of being on purpose for God using the gifts he gave you and becomes a cautionary tale. Please hear this, that the greatest danger for a follower of Jesus is success. We are human beings who are disposed, predisposed to want to take credit, to want to feel like, like we did a thing, like we don't really need God the way that we need him. And that's what happened to Solomon. And we see the result in 1 Kings 11 where God speaks to him again. So now the Lord said to Solomon, since you have not kept my covenant and have disobeyed my decrees, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your servants. But for the sake of your father David, I will not do this while you are still alive. I will take the kingdom away from your son. And even so, I will not take the entire kingdom. I'll let him be king of one tribe for the sake of my servant David and the sake of Jerusalem, my chosen city. So, so in the end, this relationship that was meant to be the cornerstone of Solomon's accomplishment, the cornerstone of Solomon's reign, well, he turns his back on it. And it is this sad, cautionary tale and it, it doesn't take away, though, from the fact that at the beginning we see that when we have a gift, when God gives us a gift, and we use it on a purpose for him, incredible things happen. You know, one of my favorite things about being in ministry is I get to hear people's stories a lot, whether it's other ministry stories or, or ministry partners or just people in the grocery store, because that happens too. Um, but I remember one story that was super impactful on me I heard probably 2007, 2008 uh, at a church Rebecca and I were attending. I don't even think I was on staff there yet. Um, and this guy named Scott Harrison comes in to tell his story. And there's a lot of detail to his story that I won't take you through, uh, just again for sake of time. But he started this organization called Charity Water, uh, which is why he was there. But, but his story is basically this. Christian kid, hit 18, decided he wanted to go to New York and be in a band gets to New York, realizes the band's probably not going to take off, and, but realizes at the same time he's got a gift 
for throwing parties, right? For, for inviting people in, for identifying folks with resource and connecting them to need and bringing people together to get excited about a thing. And so he starts career as a, a nightclub promoter. And for 10 years, he is wildly successful using this gift God gave him for his own purpose. He's, he's pursuing pleasure. All the things you think go along with being a nightclub promoter, that was the life he's living. And 10 years in, it leaves him empty and broken. And he has a, a crisis of faith. And he goes to volunteer on this hospital ship uh, right by Liberia, off the coast of Liberia. He's there for two years just as a, a, vol a volunteer photojournalist. So he's taking pictures. But while he's there, God impresses upon him the dangers of, of lack of clean water. Right? He sees the societal effects, the health effects, the, the economic effects of no clean water on these people, and God puts him on a purpose. So he returns to New York, and he uses his gifts, his talents, and, and he throws a party. And he takes all the, all the money from the cover charge and goes in and funds a well and tells the people about it, and this thing begins to grow. And so we see him using his gifts, but now for a purpose, for God. One of the things to know about Charity Water that was different back then, there's a lot more like it now, uh, but he decided he would use his gifts to provide all of the overhead for that organization so that all the money that came in could just fund wells. And, and so he's using these gifts on purpose for God, and it is now, I guess, 13, 14 years later, and I just want to read you their numbers. So, so to date either completed or fully funded and being completed, they have done 51,438 projects in 28 countries. And to date, they have provided clean water for 11,152,945 people. This is a guy who had a gift that arguably didn't look super spiritual. But God caught his heart and put him on purpose, and he used it, and that happened. But when you hear him tell his story, that's not the story he tells. That's not the foundational thing. It's not that God got a hold of him and did something awesome. It's that God gave him a purpose and the gifts he needed, and through that has drawn him closer year after year after year in relationship. Listen, the gift means nothing. It is a means to an end, and it is the end that gives it value. But that end is always relationship with God. So I, I know Lake Forest people, right? Like I know how many gifted and accomplished people we have in our community. And so I just, I got to say, like, ask God what gift he's given you. And just look around. I mean, racial injustice, health pandemic, personal or societal economics, school logistics. I mean, take your pick. Ask him how he wants you to use that gift to serve him and get on purpose. But please, do not ever lose sight of the ultimate goal, which is for you to be drawn closer to him. Because when we remember that, 
there's no room for pride or the pursuit of pleasure, and we're not slaves to the circumstances of this world. Listen, it, it needs to be said that no matter how old or how young you are, that no matter what you, you have accomplished or have not yet accomplished, if you're still here, your story isn't over. God's not done with you. That's what Solomon thought after the temple. And you saw where that led him. Listen, our stories, they don't end with us. Because our stories are bigger than we are. They intersect with God's. That's why we call them God's stories. Let's pray. Father, we will never be able to thank you enough for how you created us, both fearfully and wonderfully. And Lord, I, I pray now for each person hearing these words that is a creation of yours, that you would give them vision, God, to see and understand the ways in which they're gifted, that you would open their eyes to purpose, that they might find a way to serve you, not to accomplish great things, but to grow closer to you in relationship. I ask all these things in your name. Amen.